Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvelous. Four. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Today, really excited to have Mark Carter on the Few Podcast. And I know, Sean, for you, where Mark comes from, what Mark's interest in, and I guess we, we're not really big on that word expert, but he is an expert, is in that human behavior. So I'm going to hand over to you uh, for you to indulge uh, in Mark today. Absolutely. And I definitely say, Mark, I uh, I watched your TED Talk recently, your teddy bear TED Talk, and uh, I was nerding out on the concepts and the framework that you had there because you know the whole concept of things about perception and influence and stuff like that was really resonated with me because I've been going through that journey myself of learning and, and understanding and studying you know my own psychology and how that works, but then obviously it allows you to understand other people as well. So for today, massive welcome on the podcast, Mark. Thanks so much. It's fantastic to be on with you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, super excited. It's good to see you again, Mark. So thanks. Me too. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So what I want to start with is, I guess, clearly you're not from around here originally. So maybe give us a, a little bit of a some of those key milestones of your journey to to get into, you know, I guess you know, specializing in this this space that you're in now. Yeah, sure. So I was I get asked about my accent often. I was born in England, raised in Scotland, nurtured by Europe for 10 years, matured through several round world trips and then finally made Australia home, which is a bonus because mangoes don't grow in Edinburgh, right? So you're gonna <laughs> not Scotland. And then in terms of career path, the succinct one is I worked in banking, wasn't me. Pensions wasn't me. Sales kind of was me. But then 10 years with Kentucky holidays across Europe, which was the best. How cool would that be? How cool would working in Kentucky and clearly doing it for 10 years must have been pretty awesome, Mark. I mean, I I often joke and they use it in my intro on stage quite a bit. that A 13 meter long Kentucky bus is the best Petri dish experiment of human behavior on the planet. (laughs) Just add alcohol. 50 personalities from around the globe throw them in this combined tube space and they're traveling with people they wouldn't necessarily choose to travel with and you're going to make it all work and mesh together, right? So it's a living experiment in human behavior. And, and there's so many lessons I took from that environment that just translated to business later. That's the succinct version. So I'm, I'm so grateful I had that experience. I'm sure people are going to be a little bit curious, but what was the most, yeah, I'm going off the soft tangent here, on a tangent here, but what was the most interesting experience during that 10 years in that environment? Oh my word, there's so many. Like, it's, I'm going to call it the what if, right? Because people, the illusion of Kentucky is sun's always shining, never rains, no cues. And the reality when you're taking 50 people is what if? What if three people get run over by a car in Venice? Which is a city of water, right? Three people run over by a car. What if, your car, what if your coach breaks down and you're stuck on a motorway for 30 hours in a snowstorm? What if, what if, what if? And so I think it, that was the most fascinating thing is the stuff you just couldn't even dream up. You know, it's what if and you just got to handle it. 
solve, solve the problems and get on with it. Absolutely. Now, I have actually heard the story from the, the Kentucky founder. He came and spoke at an event about two years ago that I was at. And it was very, uh, very entertaining story about some of the things that, uh, that he talked about. But let's digress. A little. So from there, you know, Kentucky for 10 years. You know, how did you get from there to here now? Yeah, sure. So my boss actually in Kentucky, she turned around when you had been leading tour groups. And after only two years on the road, she said, I want you to be my training manager. And I said, yes, because it sounded like fun. And I knew we got to play a soccer match in Florence on that training tour. She leaned over the lunch table and tapped and she said, no, you're going to do this because this is what you're meant to do. You belong to people. And it, and it stuck with me. And then after two years of training, she was right. And then here I am, fast forward 23 years later, I'm still in the field of human development. So she picked it before I did. So I think my path found me and a boss that I was fortunate to have a great boss that saw that in me. And so it, that my path really evolved from there. When you talk about that path, Mark, and just to dot the I's across the T's on the few here, you are living your purpose. Do you believe that you are living your purpose? 100%. 100%. Like, I mean, I am absolutely, I call it as well, not only purpose, but I'm completely in flow in my career. Like, I'm absolutely in flow. I love what I do. I have for a long time. And, you know, and I think people that know me would agree that I'm kind of in my, in my purpose and flow state. I have been. Okay. So, Sean, here we go. So, it's what it's all about, right? The few are people who live their purpose. You just mentioned there that this wasn't something that you were born with. Your purpose wasn't ingrained in you as a three-year-old to live this life. So how do you connect the dots? What is the life journey from training into getting on stage, sharing that message on a massive scale? How do you do that? I know. You know what? There's some absolutely critical moments, right? So my mom tells me as a kid, I was actually introverted and very happy in my own space. And I still am. I I don't want to go on a stage because I need attention. I just find I'm good on that. But how's this? My, I never took flights or big holidays. We came from a pretty meager background. And plus, my dad didn't like flying. So when we took a holiday once to Spain, it was via coaches. Now, think about that for a second. I remember on that coach tour, I actually, I'm about, I guess, 12 or 13, something like that. I sat on the front step next to the driver from London down to Spain because I found it fascinating. Now you fast forward and it's curious. I end up in, in tour travel, coach tour travel specifically. And then doing that journey every day, you're doing several presentations every day. And then as a training manager, developing leaders, I'm developing leaders with all these skills. And so it was the environment of being in that tour environment that is where I honed. I had natural skills, yes, like in storytelling stuff. But in that environment, I honed those skills and loved them. And I think my passion and purpose just unfolded because I followed that flow of doing what I liked. That was it. I've looked at that, Mark, as, uh, you know, it's that evolution. As you said, there's these, these moments you look at and how they relate to some period later. And it's that evolution towards it, isn't it? It's not like it's suddenly, some people are born like a three. They're like, I'm going to be a, you know, a, a famous basketball player or something or whatever they set their attention to. And it doesn't fluctuate, but that's very, very rare. I believe, you know, and what's your view on that in what you've seen in, in, you know, obviously mentoring and coaching and training and so many people. Have you seen that journey unfold for others too? I'd, I'd agree with that. I think if you, you go historic, I love historical aspects. You take somebody like a Wolfgang Mozart who was composing age five, right? And he was obviously in flow from a very young age, but it's not everybody. There are life events that happen that help you see clearly what that purpose and passion is. And sometimes you've got to fail, right? Before you find it. And sometimes, and this is what, the one thing I'd simplify it to is not to fight or force it, follow the flow because then you'll find it. If you're trying to fight or force it, it's unnatural and it's probably not meant to be. And if not now, it might be later. 
allow it to flow. I think you're right too. It's that if you're thinking what it is and you're chasing it from your head, you're chasing the wrong the wrong rabbit, right? It's the one that you're following, as you said, from your heart, that flow piece. It's, it's worth unpacking a bit, isn't it? Because this is probably the first time on the podcast we've really heard the flow utilized so dominantly. Mark, you've referred to it a few times. I know you use it, Sean. It's something, it, the word is something I've come across recently. The concept of it, I've sort of understood for a while. But what unpack flow. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'll give you the context because people, and it's a great point. People have different contexts. I'll reference it to the way it's meant from the model, flow model. Chihai, uh, uh, Mihai Chitsemihai, flow theory. He's the founder of that flow theory, a polymath. And he'll describe flow being you're in this state of just absorption that you love what you're doing and you lose track of time and consciousness is one way of looking at it. So an Olympic sprinter in flow, that race lasts 10 seconds, but it might feel a damn sight longer. A mountain climber in flow, it takes half a day or a day to climb El Capitan mountain, but the day goes in five minutes. It seems to go quickly. So when you're in flow, you just enjoy it. You're in the state of being that you lose this track of time and consciousness, right? And so it's just really doing what you enjoy and getting into that state where you're in your kind of own peak performance. That's one way of looking at it. That's the context. I'll use it here. Yeah, and that's, I think that's one of the things that a lot, of, a lot of people in business that don't, they're so distracted by 50 different things, trying to fix, you know, put out 20 different fires at once and phone calls and emails and this, that they never actually give themselves an opportunity to get into a flow state within their business. It's just this constant change, interruption, you know, and they're never actually getting to a level of depth in the work where it actually has any meaning whatsoever. And I've found the same with the flow is, is about, you get a lot of soul food from the going through that, a lot of ups, a lot of, you know, energetic lift and things like that, that comes from doing that. But when you're just skating on the surface all the time, you know, it's, it's really challenging. So how have you managed that in, you know, over your I want it. career? I, oh yeah, I want it. This is, this flow thing is awesome. I want this. I want to climb. A mountain in five minutes in my head, even if it takes me all day. Can I, can I do that with everything else in life as well? Well, I was going to say, if climbing the mountain is your base skill, right? So that's a great point, Sean, you're flying as well. Because part of flow then is learning to know what you should be doing and also what you shouldn't, right? So my flow is the creative build of content and going on stage and storytelling. My flow is not sitting in a cupboard analyzing data spreadsheets and fact sheets for eight hours straight. That's somebody else's flow. That's somebody else's strength. So being in flow, and back to your point, Sean, is a lot of business owners I've found, they especially you've got to think about the layers of human behavior. Dominant style personality, control freak, want shit done their way, right? So they don't want to let go of the stuff that is not their flow sometimes. And that's the point is they're defeating their flow by not allowing other people to do those things. And Mark, you see that, you, you see that in the large organizations that you also work with, right? Like you see that challenge in bigger organizations that are very process driven, moving from being a technically competent person in the organization to a leader. So how do they, how do they even conceptualize that? And how do they implement it inside these large structures? Yeah. So uh, you send to progression from going to become a leader, if you're a leader in a big organization and then, okay, so I think that's where un underpinning all my work, I'm a big fan and you, you said up front behavior, human behavior is underpins everything. You want to be a better leader, know yourself, Know your strengths and keep working on yourself. Know your people. Know your people's strengths and empower your people to do what they do really well. It's all about people. It's that state of awareness of self, awareness of others, emotional intelligence, and being able to communicate and adapt and allow people to really step in to their best version of themselves. That's what you do as a leader. You don't force. You don't fight. You don't drag. 
And Shawnee, I know this is an area that you spend a lot of time in with your team as well. And Mark, you've made some very insightful comment there because I, I think people struggle with this. You say, know yourself. Absolutely. But how, do you think people can do that? Do you think that that's a natural skill to, to be able to look at yourself? I think uh, probably the natural skill, not necessarily. I think if it was a natural skill, we'd all kind of get there on our own, you know, without any support. I think one of the key things about getting to know yourself and I've, you know, in my journey has been like obviously the bumps in the road and the mountains I've had to climb and the, you know, the pits full of bloody piranha and stuff. But in getting to that goal, it's required a lot of support from other people who are further along that journey, who actually can see a version of you that you can't yet see. And so that's when I, and, and for the last 15 years, I've had mentors in my own life, businesses and things like that, when I finally realized I actually needed to ask for help. And that in itself is, I guess, where I then saw the benefit that they provided and then became that myself. So in, in my own journey, like yours, Mark, it was, I was being exposed to it, but then it was like, hang on, that's actually where my purpose and my passion is. It's actually in doing what these people are doing for me. And that journey itself through of self-discovery has meant that I now actually know what my values are. I know who I stand for, what I stand for and, you know, and who I am. And because without that, what have you seen the consequences of people who don't know themselves, who get into a leadership position? What have you seen the, the sort of, I suppose, the fallout of that? There's a couple of fallouts. And it's beautifully articulated, Sean. Like what you, something you just said there is by going through that journey, you find yourself and then you find your purpose. It's a milestone for you as well, right? Within that, mm -hmm. in that path. For people that don't, if they don't know themselves, there's a few ways it plays out. One is they flap, right? They sort of flap or kind of randomly float around without ever feeling really fulfilled. Or... They feel frustrated and angry and annoyed and irritated because they're not doing what they want to do. And I, I'll articulate, I talk about human behavior as such a, a deep whirlpool and layers of onions, but I'm going to simplify the way I do to four layers. People are broken into four concepts. How they function, that's profiling tools like DISC and all these sorts of, that simply tells you how somebody likes to function. But what it doesn't tell you is their why, right? That's their motivation. And with motivation, we're talking intrinsic motivation, that fire that ignites the soul, right? But that doesn't tell you their intelligence. And intelligence is you can have the most smart people on the planet that are the most socially awkward. So intelligence is intelligence, smarts, IQ, and emotional intelligence, EQ, right? And people talk about adaptable intelligence, AQ, but that's all part of EQ to me. But then the fourth layer is what I call EE, everything else. <laughs> because every life experience, right, it's where they grew up, the environment they grew up in, their fears, their limiting beliefs. And we know that kids are, again, fused with that stuff until they're 11 or 12. So how somebody functions, why they function, their levels of intelligence, and their everything else. And some of those are adaptable, like how you function. A lion is a lion, right? A lion doesn't want to play with monkeys and trees. A lion wants to eat wildebeest on the Serengeti. That's how you function. Doesn't change, really. However... Your emotional intelligence, your intelligence, and everything else, that does change. Your motivation adapts to different parts of life. So that's why knowing yourself and keep coming back to self-reflection is a critical part of remaining on this path, I think, of flow and purpose. Do you know what I also think is a really interesting part of personal development? Is it keeps things interesting. You might be doing the same job, the same type, Mark. You do this pretty much the same thing day in, day out. You have a, a business, you have a, a mentoring style. Everything you do is, is kind of the same. It's adapted to different situations. Sean, me, I'm, I'm the same. But the really interesting thing, don't you think, about personal development 
is it keeps it just keeps life interesting and learning stuff about yourself is is some of the most interesting things you can do completely plus life's continual learning right and and i think this is there's a, an amazing effect i love called the dunning kruger right which is people who are not really skilled at something will overestimate their skills and ability to do it. And by the way, we've got world leaders that do a pretty good job. Yeah, I've heard that referred to as well as the optimism bias. Yeah. But then you've got people that are actually really skilled at something, are self-aware enough to know that they could be the best person on the planet for it, yet they know they've got room for growth and they'll score their skills really quite low. You know, um, So it's that continual learning. Life is a a lifelong journey of continual learning, relearning, unlearn, relearn. And when you're really smart, you keep doing that. So personal development and growth is is always, I think. One of the things that I've I've seen a number of years ago now, but an image was popped up a few times on Facebook as an image of all these animals, an elephant, a lion, a monkey, and a goldfish in a bowl and stuff. And the person is is at the front of like a class and it says, right class, today we're all going to climb that tree. Right. And I love what it's actually saying there. It's like, if somebody says to you, Hey, boo, I think it's going to be a great idea if you climb that tree, but you're a goldfish, you can try and climb that tree to your heart's content, but you're going to have a bit of trouble. Right. And that, that's that concept of not actually knowing the hang on, who am I? What, who am I my core identity? And that's that piece of learning to be, to really understand ourselves and what is our identity when we remove all of the filters and all that sort of stuff as well. And I think that's kind of in, you know, in, in line with what we've, we've been talking about. It was Albert Einstein actually said a quote, something along the lines of, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to spend its whole life thinking it's stupid, right? That's an Albert Einstein. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the picture there. Yeah, that's flow as well, right? A fish isn't going to be in flow climbing trees. A fish swims, you know, that's flow as well. Find what it is you are meant to be doing. Okay, guys. But here we keep talking about knowing yourself, knowing your team. Yet we all observe in all the organizations and the individuals that we deal with, often an inability to do it. So how do we help people? Like how do people learn about this self-awareness? Or, you know, one of the big things I've learned in life is park your ego, not your big ego. I think people confuse it, but just park yourself out of the equation. But how do people do that? Practically speaking, what are some of the cues or behaviors you've observed that shows you that someone is in denial? Yeah. So I'd say in a business sense, one of the first ones is we're all inherently hardwired, you understand, to observe these sorts of things because we're sapiens of 70,000 years. We've evolved our communication skills with subtle clues. I mean, you guys could walk in a room and even though nothing's being spoken, you damn well know there's been an argument just there before. You can tell the energy, right? That's, we're hardwired with amazing clues. Our brains are still just being calculated. So understand that there is, just with a bit of attention and focus, you already are armed with some fundamental capabilities. However, what kills it or prevents it in a business sense and I'll be frank, is that when, when businesses are in busy and business is normal, one of the first things they sacrifice from the calendar is what? Development. Training and development gets sacrificed. And that's what's needed to learn, right? And we're in this world, I call it the candy floss economy, right? You look at candy floss at a fun fair on a stick, it looks really vivacious and full, but it scrumples up to freaking nothing. Yeah. And that's the economy we're in, this candy floss economy where people are learning through one-minute videos. Who the hell learns anything through digesting a thousand one-minute random videos? You can barely remember which ones you watched. Yeah. That's not learning. That's a great point. Learning, learning is absorb it. Set something in action, consciously apply it in action with habit, behavior, until it's now hardwired as a new skill. And so you think about that when businesses are busy, and not just businesses, individuals, they are sacrificing their own development, conscious development plan 
for the sake of being busy sometimes. That's where one of the biggest flaws is. You want to learn about the depth of human behavior. I mean, I'm accredited as many people listening to this will be in behavioral tools. You don't need to be. You, nobody, not everybody needs to be accredited in them, but if you want to apply the skills, spend the time to actually understand what's going on and then adapt your behavior with practical action plans. That's the thing I find that is often missing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess one of the things that I find too, when people are, I guess, endeavoring to find who they are and, and where, they, you know, where they fit in the world and their identity and all that sort of stuff is a process that I run you know, with my clients. It's about people really getting clear on how they define success for themselves and not in that you know, extrinsic. I want to yeah, be a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to have when I've got a private jet that I have yep. a private pilot sitting next to me that flies it for me and a Lamborghini that suddenly I'm successful. If I've got lots of stuff. Yeah, all yeah. the stuff. And it's, it's actually a, like it's that state of being. Um, you know, when you wake up in the morning, and I'm going to say most days, not every day because not perfect. And we, sometimes you have a bit of a shittier day. But you know, do you feel successful? Or what do you perceive success as from your perspective? Yeah, I love that. It's a great point because it is such a subjective view, right? People are going to have different measures. So my measure of success has got nothing to do with the stuff, right? It's got nothing to do with the tangible wealth and, the, and having stuff. My success is in its simplest form is, have I made a difference today to somebody, even if it's one person? Can I be a really decent human being and impact somebody in a positive way today? And I'll share, the reason I have that is I had the best compliment of my life, I think, ever a couple of years ago. I had a Kentucky reunion. And there was a guy there, Grant, I hadn't seen him for like, I'm going to say 16, 17 years. And he told me about something I did when I was working, washing dishes in the kitchen in Austria that he took as a message to his business when he built a business, he made all these people millionaires. And you go, these minor things that you think are so mundane tasks that are crappy, but in the manner with which you do something is impacting somebody and you may never know it. And I've really bought into that over many years. So my measure of success have I made a difference today and try and make a difference and just be a great guy to somebody and make a difference to somebody's life? So that's the starting point. And then I guess professionally is, am I moving progressively towards creatively the things I want to forget yeah. whether I get it done this day, but am I moving progressively forward? To me, those are the simplest ways to measure success and just let go of all the other crap, I think. It's interesting how similar when I've asked this question of a number of people who are working in their, their purpose, they're in flow, all that sort of stuff. Because uh, my definition of success, which I've had you know, very succinctly defined for some years now, is the freedom to choose and the impact I have on those around me. So it's the same thing. It's that it's, so I found that during the lockdown phase, the recent lockdown phase, that not being able to choose as much, but also not being able as much of an impact, it actually made me feel on some level that I wasn't feeling as successful every day because I wasn't able to have the same level of impact primarily. You know, the, the choice piece, I think, is less so, but I've realized that it's the it's really the impact piece that I was missing in that process. And well, I think Sean and Mark, you would be the same because I've certainly found this since I've started to get into coaching and speaking is truly understanding the value of having people follow you or commit to your message and how, and I think I read a statistic once where most people think their boss or their leaders, 69% of people believe they're in it for themselves. And I think when you flip that coin and you start to live a life which is it's about everyone else, that's success. Letting go of stuff and understanding that value. Mark, was there an epiphany or a moment that you had where you get that warm glow, you get that depth of meaning and you just realize being selfless as a leader and an influencer is what it's all about? I think there's many. It's a great point. And I think there's many times that's happened. 
And it's as simple as even when I was back on tours, right? It's, you know, just giving generously to give a great experience. And when people leave that trip going, wow, this was an experience of a lifetime. That's the starting point of it. You know, doing everything you can to make that happen. And sometimes it's a tough environment to work in. I mentioned there, I, I genuinely, I'd always worked on this, but the biggest one was literally my friend Grant, this minute stupid thing of, I was washing dishes apparently. And he looked at me, turned around and tapped another driver. He said, look, at how does Mark do this? I'm like, what are you on about? He said, you made it inclusive and everybody was having fun. And all they were doing was washing dishes and it set the place on fire. <laughs> That's an art, mate. That is an art right there. Well done. I might try that on my kids. <laughs> you know, he mentioned, he referenced it to, it was kind of similar to the way built was culture because it was like, you know, just making things fun and being present. So I think there's many epiphany moments, but that, I kid you not, was probably the single greatest one. Finding out about that silly moment 16 or 17 years later, the impact that had, you know? It's incredible, isn't it? That something as simple as washing dishes can have that impact and it's a story for you and it's, it's there in the forefront of your mind. When I won't tell you the rest of the story, but the rest of that story is amazing. But I think the other one is, if I go back to when I started training in, in corporate in Australia, I think the other one was I really got this idea and I used to train it often, which is there is a consequence to your choices and actions always, always. And you've got to be ready to wear that. And it's when you really get that, that in itself is enough to drive how you're being and who you're showing up as. That's a really interesting point because one of the things I find when you're in an environment where you're talking about peak performance is a lot of feedback from organizations where I think there's a control mechanism where there's this leadership via control is, oh, I can't get people to do that or they won't do what I say because in this organization, there's no consequences. And people think a consequence has to be a punishment. What do you think, when you say that, Mark, what are you talking about in terms of consequences? I call it a dichotomy. So in my, and you watch the TED talk, so you'll know I've got this value model and, and what I call service value has got four dichotomies. One of them is possibilities and consequences. They're neither positive or negative. That's just the reality. There's possibilities and consequences to everything we do. And whether it's good or bad is a meaning we give it, but that is always at play. It's just always there. You know, now if you want to give it negative meaning, to do with businesses, I love what you just said and it made me think that in a business, there's one thing I would call that can be the razor's edge of success in a business and culturally. It's what I'll call discretionary effort. Now think about that for a second. Discretionary effort, which means as a leader, if you're asking or demanding or hinting that your people should be working longer or doing things differently, it's no longer discretionary, is it, when they give that effort? You've just killed the magic ingredient. So you want to build a culture where you absolutely are encouraging discretionary effort. And you do that by certain mechanisms of the culture you build, the way in which you coach, right? The, that path of coaching people in the manner. When you master those skills properly, right? And you take, that's a simple one. Here's a quick tip. Managing versus coaching. Simple difference. If you're telling people what to do, you're managing. If you're asking questions and allowing self-discovery, you're coaching. Don't think talking with them is coaching because it's not the same thing. How are you having that conversation? And try and tap into discretionary, discretionary effort. No, that's a good point. I think I'm letting that point sink in a bit because I, I want to talk about accountability there because discretionary effort, right, is about making an effort to do something. And one of the things that Sean and I talk about often is this concept of big wins and small wins. The leader is always focused on the big win. The end of the quarter, the end of the year, the annual results, everyone else is worried about, what do I, am I going to have a nice day? Is today going to be a good day? Am I going to get bullied? Am I going to take things the wrong way? Am I, is today another day where I'm just going to get told what to do and get shoved around the office again because I really don't know what the plan is? How important 
is it for leaders to set the team up to to win every day and to give them that opportunity to be discreet in the way that they apply their energy? 100% important. I would, in a business sense, I relate this as a path. When you onboard somebody, do a really good onboarding and set them up. And then who gets coached in a business? Everybody. Your top performers, your mid performers, everybody gets coached. Even people at the top of their field. You look at Roger Federer and the likes, they've all got coaches. Everybody gets coached. So the way that you do that coaching, I would encourage that you coach people to different goals. Performance goals around their business, which takes care of the numbers. Learning goals around their skill set, which is improving them as a person. And personal fulfillment goals, which takes care of the soul and spirit. And make sure you're coaching holistically the person, not just coaching to get in the numbers, which is typically what can happen with some businesses. Yeah, see, it's I love that that framework, that holistic coaching and that holistic, you know, growth of the you're actually growing the person with an authentic, you know, care or genuine concern about them becoming a better version of themselves. I think a lot of business owners that I've observed will be focusing on the first one, which is about the results, not even the skills. Just how do I get you to get me more results? But that's that's I think that's ingrained in people. That's what they believe is or results. Well, that's what business is. Yeah. yeah, business is results, results, results. Well, I, I'll share with you an example because I used this with a manager years ago because it was needed. It. it was getting frustrated at people not in numbers. And he, his plan was, I want you to go out and train until they've got it fixed. I said, well, that's a problem, isn't it, right? Because imagine, imagine for a moment I'm the coach of the Australian soccer team and imagine the last World Cup, but I'm not allowed to watch the game. I'm in the dressing room. You come in at the end of the game and you tell me the final score was Brazil 3, Australia 1 fix the team mark. How am I meant to do this? How am I meant to do that? I've got to watch the game because it's the behaviors of what they're doing that I need to coach, not the results. But you get the yeah. point is a lot of managers and businesses are looking at numbers. They're not looking at the behaviors and the actions. So true. And that's why you've got to coach the behaviors and the numbers take care of themselves. Numbers in any business are a lagging indicator to the behaviors, actions, and culture of a business. Absolutely. And the way I, the way I frame it with, with my clients is you've got You've got it. Let's say you have an outcome, all right? And someone goes, "Oh, that was a crap outcome," you know. Blah. It's like, hang on. Well, it's just an outcome. You're just labeling it as bad, right? So it's an outcome. Let's say the outcome's not what someone wanted, but then they'll either go, "Oh, you shouldn't have done this, boo." You know, you should have done that. It's like it's cost me five thousand dollars. Well, then it's like, "Oh, that was a bad decision." That's the next step before it. But as like you're saying, it's what I do is you got to go back to the thought process. What was the thought process? And train the thought process and analyze the thought process. You know, uh, you know, let's use the, the, the afterburner framework. You know, it's a, was it a nameless and, and rankless, nameless and rankless uh, approach yeah. to debrief it and go, well, if you had A, B, and D, right, and you made a decision because you had A, B, and D, and that caused a negative outcome, it's like, okay, well, actually, if I give you the context of this now A, B, C, and D, you're missing some context. What decision would you have made then? Oh, I would have done this instead. Okay, what would our likely outcome have been? So it's, it's that piece of focusing on, not the outcome and giving people grief about the actual results because that ultimately as a leader, you know, and that person who is, as we're saying here, the leader is coaching and developing the team. We're, we're missing that opportunity to now have that person completely understand the new, the context around that, have the right thought process and get the right outcome each time after that, rather than hitting them with a stick. 100%. Look at an untangle and then coach properly, which is a life self-discovery. You know, nobody's got enough words or wisdom on the planet to tell anybody how they should do anything, not even <laughs> Dalai Lama. We discover it through life experience. So that's why, again, coaching is asking the right questions to allow the person to self-discover a different choice. What I find fascinating, I think I've probably worked 
with three, four hundred companies uh, now. And what I find really fascinating is every time you work in a company, they perceive that their problem is unique to them <laughs> when it comes to results. And you might work for three companies that are direct competitors of each other, and every single one of them has exactly the same problem, the same numbers, but in their mind, it's unique to them. And this is where I think the work you do, Mark, around human behavior is fascinating. Oh, your mentoring, uh, Shawnee, is right on point here. It's not the numbers. It's not the product you sell. It is the way you develop and adapt everything you do, these intangible behaviors that, that equal a win. So, so how, do we, how do we influence businesses, Mark? How do we help them understand that their problem isn't just their problem? It is a way in which they behave that is a problem. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly the businesses I work with, it's, it's working at the senior leadership level and building frameworks in place. They've got to discover that context first. And some of them do. Some of them really get that. You know, if you rewind, I don't know, make it exaggerate, 20, 30 years ago, you know, greed is good, right? Gordon Gecko, Wall Street kind of mentality, greed is good. We've definitely moved a long way in corporate world since then, for example. So there's a lot more business leaders do get this stuff, right? Culture was... 20, 30 years ago, it might have been talked about, but not the same way as it is now. Same as well-being of employees and people in the workspace. So I think, look, I, th I think the world is having to repair itself as well, still yeah. from, from that mindset absolutely. and that mentality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's, so long as you've got some core pillars in play, like working on the culture, working on development frameworks and plans, working on skill set improvement, and you've got those pieces of the puzzle and the leaders are then armed with the skills to be able to enact on that then you're already up and winning. And that's so long as you, it's getting those pieces of the puzzle in place to start with. And to be frank, some businesses are just behind the eight ball with that. There's definitely businesses I've worked with where they are still ingrained in the results only. And it takes them three years to get the traction because they're too busy still looking at numbers, 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 not the broader picture. Yeah, I remember seeing a statistic somewhere. I think it was a strategy to execution study that McKinsey's did. And they said organizations that use finance to plan strategy are seven times more likely to fail than organizations that use behaviors. Well, they're spotlighting the wrong, they're spotlighting the wrong thing. That's the thing. And, and the thing is they can get short-term wins. They might get the quarterly goal, right? And then that person gets their bonus or whatever, but they don't get the long-term sustainable, repeatable, predictable results that you get by developing an incredible team. You know, I've just finished watching the uh, Michael Jordan, you know, the last dance series on you know, Netflix and the context of how somebody can go and you know, win the championship three times in a row twice uh, and the second year like five months after he came back then winning it again the second year after he'd stepped out of basketball and all sort of stuff it's come down to it's come down to a team initially when he first started he even felt it was more about himself but then as soon as he switched it to we need to develop the whole team around yes we've got a key asset but the key asset is not everything as soon as they built the team and used everyone's strengths and developed them together that's when they started to win championships. 100%, 100%. And it's that collaboration, right? Yeah, you might have some superstars and rock stars. I wrote a piece on this and it's relevant to a Vienna concert, right? When you go and watch a Mozart concert at Vienna, everybody's applauding the virtuoso violinist. What about the triangle player back corner that's thrashing away at a heart attack? <laughs> when you listen to the track, the triangle tingling away is what gives it the edge. He's the percussionist, but an important piece of the puzzle. Let's applaud the percussionists, right? So everybody plays their role towards this symphony result, whatever, whatever part they play. And it's that collaborative effort of everybody in flow and helping each other. And, and to add to what you're saying there, Mark, a lot of the time 
when businesses make that decision to invest in their development of their team, and let's say it is more holistic, they tend to develop only the people at the top. Because the problem is, if you've got weak foundations in the broader you know, team as well, doesn't matter how much you develop, just develop the guys at the top, it's then up to them to now use what they're learning to develop. What you need to do, I think, is, is for teams is to develop holistically the team and give them all the opportunity to grow together, not just the leaders, because you're missing a massive opportunity to then grow some leaders up from within your team that will stand out and shine and really give you that long-term you know, return on investment of human capital. I'd add to that as well, 100%. I see another side of that as well, though, is that um, yes, they invest, like leadership will keep investing in their leadership for sure. But if you look at the whole business, who often gets worked on are people not hitting their results. Yeah. Yeah. And the top performers are left alone. But who should get coached? Everybody, ideally, including your best performers. You coach and take different paths with them. So it's, the, it's back to that whole thing of who, who gets developed? Everybody. Individual learning development pathways curated for the individual based on skills and strengths and gaps. Everybody has that pathway top right down. And you, you flagged about the, the white paper, I think you said McKinsey, where they look at the financials. I can't remember where it was, but another one I read, which was, you know, they look at the levers that businesses are pulling to predict their success, and especially in a downturn market. And one of those big levers is how much is this business investing in their development and training of their people? Yeah. And yet, like I said before, it's often that when we're in a downturn, like we've been lately with, with the COVID lockdown challenge, one of the first things that gets sacrificed is development. Absolutely. One thing to add to that, Mark, too, it's not only in a downturn. It's like you said earlier on, it's when it's, if kind of people are working on it and then they start getting successful, it's like, okay, well, now I can stop getting that support and that growth and that development. And the problem is that they revert. Imagine you're a, you're a tennis player and you manage to get into the, the top, you know, the top hundred tennis players in the world. Does a tennis player then go, cool, I don't need you as my coach anymore. Well, Nick Kyrgios does. On my own. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Every- <laughs> but okay. But I think everyone else. Yeah, everyone, everyone else. What do they do? They double down. They actually double down on investing in development and learning. And the same thing in a downtime. And I've seen this in you know when the the initial uh, you know COVID zombie apocalypse, for want of a better term, happened, and running a a group which is small businesses. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. And these, I've got a you know, I'm in, I'm invested in. I'm part of their team. I've I've got a I've got a you know, a connection with every single one of the people that I work with. And it's like, they're going to be hurting, right? And that's going to have an impact on what we do. And, and initially I was thinking, well, that's going to mean that people are just going to, you know, as you said, tighten their purse strings and go, I'm not going to invest in anything. But we actually, we've actually grown like 15% in members in that period because people are going, oh shit, I need some help. You know, and I was like, okay, well, that, that makes sense. But even myself was like, oh, is this going to, are people going to all start pulling back from this as well? But in the end, it's, at every level, businesses can benefit from getting that support and that guidance that actually allows them to see things tomorrow that they don't see today. Because that could be that that could make them, you know, that could give them a return on investment equal to or a hundred times what they've just invested in getting that piece of knowledge or that perspective. And I think that's where the egoless approach is that that you've been able people are able to let go of the survival instinct, which is I've got to make this about me, I've got to survive, and double down and go. Actually, the good decisions right now, the smart decisions is invest because one day it'll bounce back. Like for me, I think this is the best time in the world to market because everyone's stopped marketing. Everyone has stopped trading. They've stopped. They're in survival mode. So that space is starting to open up for small disruptive organizations and people to um, get their product uh, or service out there. So Mark, if we thought about 
fulfilling our purpose and living our purpose. And we looked at it as that was a big rock wall. I know we like analogies here. We're getting away from sports team and a rock climbing. And you looked at that big wall and you were trying to find the three best anchor points to climb up. What would you say the three top things would be for someone to be a good leader or to fulfill their purpose? Where, where would you say the first three rocks are to grab a grip? I, so I think we covered one of them, which is really know yourself, know your strengths and know what you're great at and what you should be doing and know what you're not great at and know who those people are to, that can fill those gaps for you and be that best version. Keep working yourself. That'd be one. The second one would be genuinely to be more generous and selfless in your approach because it is, reciprocity is going to kick in. Do everything you do with an intent to make a difference, no matter how small. Do everything you do to the best of your ability because by doing that, you build, you build a habit of just excellence in what you do, even when you're doing the big things. And for me, and I know this is where this, is where this podcast is be beautifully interesting because you're going to get different slants from every, of course, right? But you'll see commonalities. But I would say that the third piece for me, and it's definitely a part of my path, is trusting intuitively the creativity that I bring to the table because my creative approach is part of my success. There is no doubt about it. So work on yourself. Keep working on yourself. You know, allow that creativity to flow for me. And more importantly, do everything generously and selflessly. So there's one thing I like asking with our guests is what books have influenced you the most? So what, say one to three books, I'm not going to say one book because it's very hard to, to, to just go one. It's like, oh, it's but if too you had, hard. hadn't read a book for a year. If you hadn't read, yeah. <laughs> but if there, were, if there are three books that have influenced your journey and your path to become who you are, because I'm not as concerned about what you've created because the who you are has created what you've created. So it's more importantly about who you've become. What, what was the three biggest influences? I'll say this is, this is beautiful as well. So I'll, I'll give this context. My mum was a librarian. I grew up with books. <laughs> oh, wow. Now as well, I was kind of destined. I always know I was going to write a book. So I love books and with mum as a librarian. The first one I would say is a friend of mine many years ago, before I, just when I was toggling between New Zealand and Australia, before I moved to Australia, she gave me a book by Julia Cameron. She was the ex-wife of James Cameron, the director. And the book was called The Artist's Way. And as a 12-week, DIY course, self-paced course of opening up creativity. That is absolutely one of those books. And it was gifted to me. So talk about flow and serendipity, right? So that's one. The second is Paolo Coelho, but I'm not going to cite the one that everybody cites, which would be The Alchemist or something like that, right? Yeah. I'm going to say, uh, by the river Piedra, I sat down and wept by Paolo Coelho, which teaches a lot. Paolo Coelho is a genius at writing about an important concept, which is love. And that book really teaches about the concept of unconditional love, which most people just don't get. They place conditions. And I think that has been absolutely loving yourself and loving other people and respecting other people. It sounds bizarre, but that book. The third one, I'm kind of torn, two spring to mind. Bryce Courtney was my favorite author. He's the only celebrity, if you want to call him that, that I ever bother changing a flight for so I could meet him at a book signing because I'm not into celebrity. I don't really care about it all. But I changed my flight because he was my favorite author. And if you know Bryce's works, he wrote these big, massive books. But he did this small coffee table book. And it's called A Recipe for Dreaming. And he had it illustrated by his friend, Ann Williams. And it's just short parables of philosophies for living life. That book is absolutely wonderful. It's either that one or, bizarrely enough, Asterix the Gaul. <laughs> I grew up. I read Asterix comics my whole childhood. There you go, right? It's going to be Asterix the Gaul or Calvin and Hobbes, the cartoon book. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's because 
I just remember them from childhood and I remember the way they were written and drawn and creatively drawn and it just always stuck with me and I think that's had a play in terms of how I storyboard and build stuff out. And always a team. Everything they did was a team. My love for history, I build in history and everything I do. So I think those, they're a bit quirky, but I'd say those ones. Well, that, that's right. And they're, I think we're all a bit quirky though. We've all got our you know, idiosyncrasies and uh, different shades of quirkiness. And what I love is the fact that he doesn't just quote three books that everyone knows. These are books that now people can actually go, well, that's interesting. You know, I've, I've read The Alchemist, but we didn't know that he wrote other books because there's one that stands out so much. So I think that's really quite beneficial. So And demonstrated the humility, not to mention his own book. Well, uh, that's which correct. Is, which, that's Mark, you've got, you've got one. That's a great you've, segue. You've got, a, you've got a book coming out into, uh, into the market pretty soon. You're giving us a, a cheeky Give insight. Give us a bit of a show uh, of the cover there. And I've got one here. Yeah, so I wrote, uh, this is my second one. My first one's called Ignite Your Potential, which is personal development. It was creative play on tarot cards and I turned the higher arcana into 26 themes for personal development that was my first book and it's an app and everything but add value is my new book that's coming out we had to delay the launch because of all this lockdown but this is the extended model Sean of the TED talk you know, the TEDx talk was the two-minute trailer of a model I've been building for 16 years and add value is the very practical work that you can do on really applying those principles in your world yeah so no no one minute videos there someone needs to get it and actually dive deep into it study it apply it and as i understand from i just remember which book it was from it was one i think it was drive i think it was about this establishing new habits by dan pink it was take 66 days to form a new habit not 21 21 is a lot of rubbish for your neural pathway to compete with an old neural pathway you need to be doing that as part of you to assimilate it for at least 66 days. So, uh, Mate, if it's got anything to do with my kids brushing their teeth, it's about four years, I think. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, definitely. Because <laughs> I, I get all that. I mean, behavior is the field I work in. I've heard the 21, the 66. I've got a different slant again, which it, it makes you ponder, right? Yeah. And you can apply it to something like Alcohol's Anonymous, right? Because you know the principle there, you turn up and then you state your days. So the question is, at what day... Did you have the habit of no longer drinking? And the answer is really the day you made the choice. How do you know objectively the defining day? And I think if, you're, if the motivation and drive is significant enough, the day you've made that decision, it's also done. It's the continual choice is what really makes it just stick in your psyche, right? So there's yeah. different slides. But I think if you really tap your why and the reason why you want to do it, you can change your habit in five minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. That, that reminds me of a specific situation where for most of my life, I had a, a bit of an obsession with food. I always had to have food in my bag or handy. And it was this kind of almost like primal thing, like a caveman, that, that it was going to be out of food or it wasn't okay to be hungry for five minutes or something. You're on most of Australia, mate, yeah, when COVID hit, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there was this, it was about three and a half years ago now when I'd been, I'd been talking with a good friend of mine who's a very high level nutritionalist and various other skills that he has. And he was suggesting and recommending to me for my own energy and state and stuff to endeavor to try intermittent fasting, right? And to try that as a, as a not as a diet or as a eating regime, but to just do it as part of my lifestyle. And three and a half years ago, there was a bit of a tumultuous period. Some challenging stuff happened uh, around with, with my friends and it really got me to kind of pause. And I, I literally remember waking up one day and went, huh, I reckon I'm an intermittent faster now. And I literally from that day forward, so as you said, the decision just happened. Now there'd been uh, some work prior to, I never tested it. I never tried it. I just woke up one day and went, okay, this feels right. And it just was, and it's never gone back. And that's so, so sometimes you make a decision, it's actually already a habit because it's so strong that it becomes that. 
Others, though, you make the decision and you've got to keep making the decision every day. Every day, yeah. For life. Because it, you might have a tendency, and this is path of change, we have tendencies to slip back into our old patterns at times as well. And that's why with AA, it's I'm always an alcoholic, I've got to choose it every day. Or from the day I've chosen to not drink, I'm not going to drink. You see what I mean? So it can be instantaneous or it can be a choice every day. It's not, I don't maybe look at those things as the definitive timeline of becoming a habit. Yeah. And I think for me, it's about, it's the identity that changed. It was actually that I identified with, with that concept now as me, not as this is something I should do. This is someone, it was someone I should be. And I think that for me was the distinction. I love it. I had a similar one, Sean. So just a month before COVID, I actually decided I was going to go vegetarian because I just felt like a change. And I've been pescatarian now for, I went pescatarian in the end, months since before this. It was just a choice I've made. I've not missed it at all. And not drinking either. That was another one. I've not had a drink for months either, but it's just easy choice. Fantastic. Well, one of the things I'd love to do before we wrap up. That's the end. It's just always the toughest part, know, it is. isn't it? it? I mean, the conversations going. are just so... <laughs> Just so brilliant. I just, I just find everyone we get. Mark, it's been fascinating and reinforcing uh, the same things. But yeah, okay, we've got to come to the we've end. Got to come to the end, and I always learn something. <laughs> like every single time, I learn something. And the context of you know mentors and things, I still have fifteen years straight. I've had mentors and coaches of my own that support me in different areas of my life. And I'm not a sports, clearly not a sports person. But uh, and I, I see the massive benefit. But let's say that there was um, this is basically like a, a sign off question that we love to ask most of our uh, guests, which is. If there was one thing that you've learned in life and business that you could go back and teach a younger version of yourself, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is, that's actually, I love that question. It's actually a really tough one. Um, the thing that would spring to mind for me would be to learn to let go sooner of the things that aren't working and not fight yeah. as hard. Fail early, fail fast. Yeah. And that goes to like, relationships and stuff as well. I, because I'm such an empathetic person, I'm all about others. I've definitely put way too much time and effort and resources into things that are just freaking dead wood, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're oh, talking yeah. about yeah, at all. Very um, common story, mate. Very <laughs> common story. So I would say that learn to just accept it soon. I, it's not that I accept it, but accept it soon and then just let it be. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, we really do appreciate you taking the time to share some of your story and you know, there's been massive, massive light bulbs and takeaways within it. So really do appreciate it. And Mark, if you could just share with our listeners and our guests, how do they find Mark Harder? How do they find these great books of yours? Where can we go to help influence people in the most positive way? Yeah, sure. Everything's on my site. So markcarter.com.au. You know, I think I, I've built a custom built learning management system as well that people can access the app, the books, everything's all in there. Perfect for COVID. Keep it simple. Everything's there if people want to get yeah, we'll it. We'll tag it in the show notes anyway. That's great. Thank Thanks very much. Guys as well. Really appreciate you inviting me on. It's awesome having a chat and seeing you guys again as well. But thank you so much for inviting me in. Thanks, mate. And thanks also to our partners at ICMI. If you want to bookmark for an engagement, which can be online, digital in this day and age, reach out or Google ICMI Speakers, Momentum Media, our partner here, one of Australia's largest industry partners, Sean Sewell and his inner circle. You're looking for a long-term or highly engaging program, uh, Google Sean and inner circle. 
And organizationally, you want to build those high-performing teams that we just talked about, afterburner.com.au in Australia. And for those of you listening outside Australia, afterburner.com. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Sean. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, guys. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.